Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. So, Also with me, Kid Presentable. He's back after a one-week hiatus. Hello, everyone. Right. Uh, no Lavender Gooms this week. Uh, had a work commitment he had to take care of. Should be back next week to talk about whatever nonsense card the UFC pieces together while anybody who have any consequence continues to hold out for a reasonable portion it, of the it, pay. It should be noticed that Notice that, uh, you know, we record at six our time, so it's nine yeah. on the east coast, and he has a work related thing yeah. to do at nine o'clock at night. Was he doing graveyard shift or is he Dude's doing got- security at the front desk? I don't understand. Dude's got a work commitment, he does. That's not me making anything up either. He really does. Um, anyway, we're gonna talk about UFC 250, where, um, had ourselves a little bantamweight title. A bantamweight title, a bantamweight contender eliminator. A couple of fights there. Uh, we had a dominant champion, so show why she's the best ever. Some decent fights. Uh, we're going to talk about what I made reference to earlier, which was that everybody of any ability to sell a pay-per-view at this point has stopped fighting for the UFC. Uh, and it appears that people have realized the UFC takes a large portion of the revenue. Um, this UFC card happening this Saturday at the Apex is, um, very not good. Um, there's no fight. There's really, the main event is the only fight of any consequence, but I don't think anybody was asking for it to be five rounds, but we'll talk a little bit about this card. Um, and yeah, let's just get into it. Um, Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer, um, we didn't expect it to be competitive and it wasn't at all. Mark, um, Felicia had one area where there's apparently she was supposed to have some sort of advantage, which was the grappling, but it appeared she had no such uh, advantage there either. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, really what it is, is, you know, her strong suit is the ground game, like you mentioned, um, mostly on top where she lacks a lot of ability. And this is what I noticed in her previous fight is that she has a hard time getting the fight there. And with someone like Amanda Nunes, that's a complicated puzzle to solve, um, especially with Felicia is not someone that when she get, when she gets takedowns, it's usually from the clinch. It's usually from trips. That's going to be tough to deal with Amanda Nunes, and it proved to be so. Um, standing there on two different planets, uh, Felicia still has not developed any snap or real power with her punches. She pushes everything. Um, and I actually uh, you know, had the time to, to rewatch all these main card fights, and you can see it in the second round. She, she actually lands a really good jab on Amanda, but... It, in technical boxing striking when you throw crisp punches when you land the punch you pull it back and there's multiple reasons to do that not just for defense but that creates snap on your punches and that causes your punches to be more damaging because you're hitting someone at direct impact and you're not pushing your punch through um and you snap it back it actually allows the person's head to snap back and, and be more impactful and she just doesn't do that and when she landed a good clean jab she pushed her fist all the way through Amanda's head, which makes it look more damaging, but it's actually not. It took a lot of power off. So she was just completely outclassed there. And the few times she tried to shoot doubles, not only did Amanda 
get underhooks in and stop, she used that defensive ability to then take uh, Felicia down and do some ground and pound on top. You know, she was completely dominant um, from beginning to end, which wasn't super surprising. We knew going in, she was Felicia was going to have a hard time getting it into the realm where she would potentially be better than Amanda, which is like her being on top. Um, she had some chances because Amanda took her down to work from the bottom, and those were mostly just to maintain position, not get submitted. She almost gave up her back early in the fight and was able to 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 circle into her, and she did some some decent things there to survive. But there was no point in the 25 minutes where Felicia had any upper advantage that caused any real serious damage. Um, and I think another narrative that we've been doing this almost every card. The question of should the corner have thrown in the towel between the fourth and fifth round um, before that she was getting shellacked, but she wasn't taking a horrific beating. It was towards the end of the fourth round where Amanda landed multiple good punches that cut her open. And basically, Amanda almost finished the fight at the very end of the fourth round. She had a rear naked choke that was completely sunk in and Felicia was saved by the bell. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, if the corner should um, have stopped the fight then. This wasn't nearly as egregious as a lot of the other examples we've seen yeah, well, in the let's, past weeks. Marcus, sorry to get, uh, cut you off a little bit here, but let's get Steph here on this. Steph, um, maybe part of it was because we knew about eight minutes in, nine minutes in, that there was no real point to this fight. But what did you think around the fourth round where we're all sitting here watching this together like, we should probably stop this. What are we achieving here? Uh, what did you think? Like, I mean, we've seen worse, obviously, but... Overall, you thought the fight should be stopped, not be stopped? What do you think? I mean, we were talking about it, right? So that just kind of is the tale of the fight in itself, that it was even something that came up. Um, she wasn't taking a, a wealth of damage, kind of like Mark mentioned. Uh, we've seen this with a lot of dominant champions when they kind of face inferior competition, and they cruise to a decision, right? It's comfortable. They're not threatened at all. Um, but, you know, they're not necessarily sadistic either, so they're not necessarily trying to, like, absolutely destroy them. But it's one of those things you'll almost I can't I can't think of a single scenario where a coach would stop it in this case. But it's just the logical third person's view of you have absolutely no avenue to win. There's no Hail Mary knockout coming. There's no flying armbar that's coming. You have zero avenue to win. These next five minutes are purely for ego um, and just the like, oh, I finished, you know, and coaches are always going to do that for their fighters. I can't think of a single coach that's thrown it in this scenario because you you need to be uh you you can't have any strings attached you can't have any personal investment but from a third person point of view is why take the beating why take the damage you will not get anything out of it you'll just get a moral victory but you know in the fight game how much are those worth because it's every punch you take is mileage off your career so, yeah, and Felicia Felicia is almost too tough for her own good I mean I believe didn't Cyborg put like a three round beating on her or am I inventing this like that took some time too it, it wasn't as bad uh, I mean she, she lost that fight it, her saving grace in that fight was she, she cut Cyborg early on she actually did like a Superman elbow which landed well and kind of gave her some credit but she was again in that fight as well just outclassed she couldn't get the fight into the position she needed to to be dominant um, and, and the stand-up, she's not there to be competitive, but like you said, she's tough enough to survive and take a beating and, and know how to take punches, roll with them, not take maximum damage. So she's not, you know, even in this fight, you know, she took some heavy strikes, but there wasn't really a lot of instances where she was on wobbled legs or it looked like she was, you know, potentially even super close to being out, except for the end of the fourth round where that submission was sunk in. So there was one instance in which um, 
the ref, uh, was it Herb? Was the ref who kind of fucked yeah, up a little? Is when she took that two piece and you could tell she was stunned, dropped her mouth guard, pointed to it, and they stopped the fight. What happened there? No one's talking about that, but like Amanda was in the middle of a like she was in the middle of a sequence, and the sequence is what caused the mouth guard to fall out. Yeah, and then they they stopped it when she was in the middle of it. And I was, I remember, I think we all noticed it. Stunned, took two steps back and then pointed at it, and Herb was like, okay, let's stop the fight so you can put that back in. That was just, it's another one of those like. Herb isn't as sharp as he used to be. He used to be the class of refs, but he has little freezing moments like this where it's not really the having, best job. Yeah, yeah ha- having got to watch it again, um, it, it was kind of a weird call. It is weird for the referee to to call break um, basically at the request of the fighter. Um, I will say that I don't think that was a super damaging uh, sequence to break off. Having watched it again, you know, Felicia got caught and her mouthpiece fell out right as the right hand landed. Um, but she, even in that instance, wasn't hurt. And that's why almost immediately she realized the mouth guard was gone and was able to point at it. Um, and Herb Dean made that call. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the right call. Maybe Amanda shouldn't had should have had the chance to follow up and try to finish the fight. Watching it again, um, Felicia wasn't in that much danger where I thought, like, she got she got saved. Like, Dean saved her from from taking a beating there. She definitely took a good shot. Um, she was backing up, uh, but there's still a lot of space. It wasn't even like Amanda had started to swarm on her yet. So, you know, Felicia, that that's something that is on her, you know, potentially because Amanda could have kept running at her and throwing punches and the referee did not have to stop it, but it, it worked out in her favor. It definitely saved her a little bit, but watching it again, that punch wasn't nearly as damaging as you would think a punch would be when a mouth part, when a mouthpiece flies out, and especially watching it in real time. When you see someone get hit and the mouthpiece flies out, you're like, oh shit, that was a really big shot it, it didn't affect felicia so much that i thought she, amanda Nunes kind of got screwed out of finishing the fight but it definitely was a questionable call and i think it should be discussed well here we are now amanda Nunes is champion now defended both belts this was her first defense of the featherweight title there are no rankings in the featherweight division at all i'm looking at the website um looking at the bantamweight title picture you got jermaine jermaine durandamy she got beat holly home she got beat. Aspen Ladd is number three. I don't know what's going on with Aspen Ladd. I don't. She I, might have a fight. I thought she up. was. Didn't she miss weight or something? Um. Um. Anyway, um. Juliana Pena is after that, and then Irene Aldana. A lot of people thought Irene Aldana's next. Um. But now they're we're all reading that uh, Irene Aldana is going to take on uh Holly Holm in a five round main event. Um. Why would they kill a contender? I mean, I'm not saying Irene can't win. We're all fans, but I don't get that matchup at all. But there's no logic to what they do anymore anyway. They'll probably see Holly Holm can do decent on TV, so they'll put her on a main event. Um, I mean, we're sitting here, Steph, and the only fight of any interest, and it's weird to put it like interest because their first two matchups weren't even good fights necessarily. They were just competitive. Is Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko? Beyond that, is there anything you want to see her do? Is there any fight that you're like clamoring for? <laughs> uh, no, a contender has to rise. You know, mm. um, I think what happens next is I think this division folds or it just doesn't exist. She defended it to defend it. She she did it to do it because for all these double champs, none of them defended both. 
right? They always won a second one and either stayed at that second one or forfeited one, lost one. I don't think any of the other ones actually defended at two weight classes. I don't think so, Henry. I don't know if Henry. Henry did. Did he defend? Well, because when, when TJ was on all the steroids, that was at one twenty-five, and then he just he defended it against Dom, for sure. I see. Okay. Well, then there's two. So there again, was still it, someone. It, no, Connor it's, didn't it's do small, it. It's a small company. DC yeah. didn't do it, right? He just moved on. Yeah. Um, none of them. Like, none of them have done it and bounced back. Yeah. They, they they get a title. They maybe they defend that title. Then they move up, get that title, defend that title. No one has. She's gone, gone back and up, forth. Yeah. Come back. And what's really weird is a lot of the girls she she beat at 135. They were like 145ers too. Like Holly Holm and Jermaine. I mean, both fought at 145. There, there, so there, there's one 145er on the roster, and it's Megan Anderson. I'm, I was looking at Felicia Spencer, and I was like. She does not look bigger than her in any way, than Amanda at all. She's honest. a little. We make fun of the promo is like a real one forty five er. She did like not look. The best thing they could say about her. She did not look any thicker. She was shorter. I didn't see anything about. I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but she did not look like that's the weight class. I mean, she got a title shot, so maybe it is a weight class for her. But I didn't see her as any bigger or smaller than any other one hundred thirty five er. You know, personally. Well, I think what's interesting, too, obviously, you're alluding to what's next for Amanda and listening to the broadcast again. And I didn't really know this. I didn't follow this. I guess Amanda had a hard time making 135 against uh, Jermaine in her last fight. So they're kind of thinking, you know, maybe 145 should be her permanent home uh, because she had a hard time making 35. The division's really bad. So it's kind of like that's not really the place you want to hang your hat right in the two divisions. Um, but I also heard that she says that she kind of wants to take the rest of 2020 off, which I think is the best move because those two divisions need to build. And like you said, th- there's not really much of a 45. M- maybe Megan can get one more fight in and get a win, and maybe they can do well, that. Or maybe Lad. I guess her daughter is going to be born in September too. There's yeah. that too. So. Nina's pregnant, and you know they want to focus on the family. They've absolutely she's absolutely earned the right to. And do there that. is no contenders. Um, I mean, when Stefan started talking about 145 not, not, not existing, I mean, 135 doesn't have any contenders for her either. She beat all those girls, too. I mean, Bobby, you, you know the pro wrestling terms. She she needs to pull a Brock Lesnar <laughs> where, you know, she just leaves. She's yeah. got the belt, but no one's going to strip her of it because there's no one compelling coming up. Um, But, yeah, Amanda Nunes remains the GOAT. And the fair, my favorite part of Amanda Nunes' fights is when the fight's over, she leaves the cage riding Conan's shoulders like she's Finn, like she's Prince Devitt, and he's bad luck folly. Makes me happy. I will give you a prediction real quick, Bob. Cyborg will continue to call her out for a rematch in spite of not being in the same organization. That's fair. I see that. Um, co-main event was Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Asuncao. Um, Straight up, nothing really happened for the first eight minutes of this fight. And then they started throwing. And then with a second left, Cody Garbrandt uncorked a right fucking hand from hell. And one hitter quittered Rafael Asuncao, which doesn't happen a lot um, in general, Rafael Asuncao. He has not gotten knocked out since UFC 128. That was nine years ago. Um, Steph, this kid needed this win. And yeah. he needed it badly. And this was a huge one for him. Asuncao's a contender still. All so, is tough out, right? Yeah. You know, he, he wins ugly. He loses close. Um, it, it's hard to really stand, um, but it's tough for me to know what to take away from this fight. Cause like you said, nothing really happened throughout the duration of it. Now, was that Cody being more diligent? Was that him not getting into firefights? 
or was it a little gun shyness because he'd been knocked out a couple times and knocked out viciously and you know we were kind of wondering what his career trajectory was at this point it's it's been one fight it, it's too small of a sample size for me to make any conclusive judgment on it it was a hell of a win he absolutely needed it to right the ship of his career um you know they talked about it when you look at the punch you see how his eyes follow it all the way through the kid when he was on point he had tremendous boxing accuracy and hand speed um it's not like that stuff ever went away his just defensive boxing was really really bad um I can't tell if he shorted up because again, nothing happened. Also, a Sun Tzu is no—he's no killer on the feet. Exactly. Um, this was a guy that he would generally be safe getting into a firefight with because a Sun Tzu doesn't have any, you know, track record for putting people out with his hands, anyways. Um, so again, I don't know. It was a big win. It was great for him. I don't. I can't make a well. Large the, the, so here's something interesting that he were talking about Cody Garbrandt uh, when the whole thing where the UFC was just trying to. Um, pretty much shit talk Mighty Mouse into going up to 135 and then he wouldn't and then instead TJ said he would go down to 125. Before that, it was Garbrandt who was talking about going to 125 and apparently he walked, I remember reading this, that he walks around at, he was walking around at the same weight that Mighty Mouse walked around at. Like he like is at like one low 140s. If he really, Mark, if he really thinks he can go down to 125, we know the people. We know people like watching the kid fight. Like he hits hard. The division has close to zero buzz. What do you think if Cody can make it down to one twenty-five? Oh, I mean, the, I think those are the problems, right? Like, why go into a division that everyone's already saying is dead, and there's no heat, and there's no stars or anything? You know, maybe he goes down there and he's the big fish in a little pond. Um, I think you know. I don't know how he's going to match up with those guys, but he has an extinct advantage in his speed and if he goes down uh to a lighter weight class you know i think that advantage is going to be mitigated a little bit but he carries a lot of power um so i don't know that's a tough call for him to make that's obviously something that he has to kind of feel out with maybe doing some practice weight cuts and see if he can drop the weight nice and still feel good and active because maybe 135 is closer to what he walks around at but maybe that's why he's had so much success here is because he doesn't have to cut a lot of weight he doesn't feel drained and he's still fast and powerful and can eat and is not you know mentally yeah, drained and, as well and 10, so, and 10 pounds at that light of weight is a huge number compared to like higher percentage of your body yeah, weight, exactly body weight. like you know it didn't tj thought he could and then that was one of the worst wanes i've ever seen in it he had to take apo to make it like he, he had physically off. Yeah, he had to use he had to like artificially pump his blood to maintain burning enough calories to stay that low. Like <laughs> I, I do think TJ's a little bigger than Cody, so I don't know if Cody would sure. have I think Cody's taller though. So I, I don't know, maybe Cody's thick. I mean TJ's a little bit, you know. He's a little more. I mean, look at you. Look at Cody's body. He's he's not the most cut guy in the world, yeah. right? At thirty five, so you know maybe he could lose a little bit of fat and and be all right and not have to be as drained as TJ. I mean, really, what I saw in this fight. Uh, it was a little bit of Cody coming back to form. I think uh, the big takeaways for him is a lot more patient, waited for those exchanges to come, and then took advantage of them. My big takeaway, having watched it twice, is I don't know what a Sun Cell strategy was. So much, I mean, we talked about the first eight minutes, you know, the first nine minutes being kind of boring, and it's really because this this whole fight was fought at kicking distance, at striking distance. Do you do you guys remember a Sun Cell threw five wheel kicks it's because he did not know how to dictate the pace. He did not know how to get inside. He did not he know how to He was getting leg kicked. It, it, they, they were exchanging lots of kicks on the outside because 
I think one, he was a little gun shy getting into the pocket and exchanging with Cody, rightfully so. Um, you know, exchanging hands obviously would not be a smart uh, strategy here, but for him just to stay on the outside and try to get something going there, I don't think was a very smart strategy. A lot of his standup was basically standing in orthodox, switching to southpaw, let Cody look at him at southpaw. Let's go back to orthodox, not throwing anything in that, just switching stances and switching back. And he did that multiple times. I think he was trying to make Cody feel hesitant or uncomfortable. But, you know, eventually when they did start exchanging in the second round, which is a Sun Sao did start asserting himself a little bit more and start throwing punches. And the end sequence was just Cody making a Sun Sao bite. Because if you look at that, they the end sequence was they exchanged mid kicks to each other. Cody, after the kick, he ducks down just like he does in his finishing sequence he stays there for a second they stand up he ducks down the exact same way and a sunset you know when you see a fighter do the same thing twice you pick up on tells you want to exploit something if a fighter is doing the same action over and over again so he he, he threw a right hook right where cody was leaning but cody had him he, he was anticipating him biting he bit landed a huge right hook it's exactly what he needed um, and, and really, I think the big takeaways is that, you know, he was losing fights because he gets caught up in the moment. You know, they're in the pocket. This is his best chance to win. He just has to throw fire like he does so well. His hands are just about as fast as anyone else's, but he gets caught in those exchanges. What he did here was he baited a more seasoned veteran to throw a silly strike at the end of the round and capitalize marvelous, marvelously on it. So big hats off to Cody. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what he does here. This division I, we're going to talk about it next with Sterling because I think he is not only one of the best fighters, but he's the dude with the fucking mega horn saying like, hey, this division's really interesting. Look at what I'm doing. He, and look at Peter Yan. And, and he, he's selling it. And, and Cody, I think, without having to do a lot of mic work, kind of put himself in that equation. And again, they made him co-main when it probably shouldn't have been. Sterling and Corey Sandbag were both ranked higher than these two other guys. Um, but I, I think this division that has been very lackadaisical for a while – um, is seemingly more interesting, and I think a lot of that has to go with Sterling. Stefan, do you would you like to say anything, or are you just gonna laugh? <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I was muted, but I was laughing my ass off at Cody Sandbag. Yeah, that was that is some unintentional shade. Uh, Sandy, <laughs> Dan Hagen, sorry. <laughs> oh, Sandbag was good though. I but, like that. Uh, his his career was sandbagged in that moment. Well, well, let's talk about this man, the man who. Um, I've always been big, been a big Aljo fan for really no reason beyond I kind of like. I kind of like his whole, I don't know, he's got big hair, he wear a big chain. Stefan has pointed out that he's only ever existed on the internet. Yeah, so, I, was really, I was really tough on him in the early going. Well, you know what, man? We got to get the man his due finally because after some growing pains, because they were giving him hype early on. But a couple years later, this man has won, I think it's four or five straight now. He's only lost one. Let me see. He's won, he's low, he's won five straight. He's won seven of eight. He just beat another top contender in less than 90 seconds. Um, he very clearly, Steph, put it out there that he is the number one contender. Or hell, number two contender. It's him and Peter Yawn, let's be honest. For this vacant championship. So, Aljo really put on performance, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I was tough on him early on. Uh, I think the, the hype for him just came too soon. Um, he, had the, he had the right look. Yeah, he had the right attitude. The right camp. The the results just weren't there in the early fights of his UFC career. Not to say he was losing, but he wasn't winning impressively. You saw he understood like kind of the tenets of stand up, but he didn't necessarily have finishing power. 
Uh, he wasn't really hurting guys, wasn't really rocking guys. You could tell he was a good grappler. Uh, couldn't always secure the takedown. Could always sometimes only maintain control. He couldn't find finishing positions. It's really that thing, right? When you when you can't finish the fight in certain ways, it's like, what am I getting so excited about? You know, I, it's something to prove. But he he made leaps. Every one of his fights, he got better and better. And yeah, he 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 put it together, right? How many guys do we say this about? Of if they put it together, then there might really be something here. And it, it really coalescing for him. And to what you said of where does he stand up? What was the one observation I made when they showed the rankings? He's ahead of the two guys who are fighting for the belt. Uh, he's ranked number one. Jan is uh, ranked number two. And Aldo is ranked number six. Two is fighting six, and one is standing on the sideline to fill the vacant title. Ain't that some shit? You know what I think also happened with Aljo? I think um, there was a lot of shine on Chris Weidman's camp after Weidman became champion and beat Anderson Silva and all that stuff. And there was a point where we were getting a lot of hype about Aljo, a lot of hype about... Um, Ally Quinta probably got more hype early on than he deserved. He's a much better fighter now. If you guys remember, John Vellante was a thing for a minute. There was that guy on Tough also, Eddie Truck Gordon. They had a lot of a lot of guys in that camp, and I think a lot of uh, they were getting a lot of attention. So maybe that was part of it too. But huge win for the man. Um, let's knock out the other bantamweight fight here too. Marcus Sugar Sean O'Malley baptized Eddie Wineland uh, with the nuclear fucking. I think it was the right hand. And Eddie Wineland and his old prospector mustache went down just like a big tree. <laughs> yeah, who got Sean knocked out of the night? Who got there, between? There were two one punch knockouts. They had they had no fight of the nights. They had four performance of the nights, and the four performances were uh, Garbrandt, Sterling, Sean O'Malley, and Alex Perez for leg kicking the bejesus out of Husia uh, Formiga. Which one punch did you like better? Um, I made a really loud noise when Alge when I went uh Cody hit the punch. So I think that one, maybe because I just nothing was happening and I like didn't see that coming at all. That probably that one. <laughs> Mark, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I mean, I like both of them. I mean, with the Sean O'Malley fight, now I just say the whole fight was a lot better. He just, oh yeah, he, he looked. There, there isn't the the aura of the greats is what Sean O'Malley has in his stand up, and at least in his stand up. You know, we haven't seen a lot of his clinch work on the ground, but he is so confident in his stand up, and just you you just see how relaxed he is in there, and he ha was really no threat from Eddie in this whole fight, and how he finished, how he set up that finish with the the faint uppercut into a right straight was beautiful, and I think both of those both of those knockouts came to fruition because they were set up correctly. Both fighters used setups to to not just I mean they didn't just throw a right hand, right? They set it up. O'Malley with a faint uppercut into the right hand. Basically the faint uppercut made Eddie drop his guard and landed it. And then I already mentioned how how Cody set it up. So I mean I, I want to give it to to Sean O'Malley because I think he just had a better performance. This was and this is also a big step up for him in competition, at least in name. You know, Eddie Wineland I, we kind of joked he's been around for a long time. Maybe his best days are past him, but this was, you know, someone that that was the first WC champion. His, his name still carries water in this division, and this was kind of a test for Sean. And he just walked right through him. So I was super impressed. He's with that. Talk, trying to talk himself into a uh, fight with Cody Garbrandt right now. Yeah. Oh, he mentioned that he, he said that Cody's not going to take that fight for him because it's a lose lose. Like, even if he it, it, one Sean O'Malley thinks he'll he'll smoke Cody, he take that fight any day. Um, but for Cody, there's really you're taking a guy who's unranked and who, you know, if, if he beats him, it's just like, oh, you beat up a guy who are, ha has not been established. Are you at the point now with Sean O'Malley where you want to see if he can stop a guy who can take him down? 
Are you there yet? Or are you just still where he's still young enough? Let's have some fun and watch him. No, I mean, I I think this this was the first step and not so much testing his his grappling regiment, but testing him against higher competition. And I think he's there. And I think he's at the point now where he does need to start fighting guys that are ranked, whether it's grapplers or other strikers. You know, it'd be interesting to see another grappler, someone who's going to be able to potentially take him down and see how he works there. But for me as a fan, He's in the same camp as a Conor McGregor, you know, maybe not as hyped up, but I just want to see him fight. I think he, the way he stands up is just, it, it's something to behold. And it, I'm very intrigued by his style of stand up. And he's a character in and of himself. He, yeah. This week yeah. with his hair and the cornrows and the, and the, the dye job is very interesting. Dude's tatted up to the gills, but he, he brings the goods where it matters. Yeah, a really nice exchange between him and Aljamain Sterling after the fight where Aljamain tweeted him, yo! Trying to spark up, question mark. And then Sean O'Malley said, in bed, high as tits. And then Aljamain Sterling said, damn, missed out. So, good to know he's living, he's just living the gimmick. Living the gimmick. Um, Steph, young guy, full of promise, big knockout. What else is there to say except give him another one, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it it doesn't need to be a grappler. Give him a top 10 guy. Yeah, I mean, give him an an established name because. It's why he's calling out Garbrandt. He wants names. He wants scalps. He said he wants a main event. And you know what? Him versus anybody is a better fight than the next upcoming main event. So I see no problem with that request. Is the kid undefeated, right? Uh, yes, he had a long out. he had a long injury layoff, I believe it was. I, think he had a, I thought he had a weed suspension layoff. Yeah, he got he got he got popped for picograms on something. Look, I'm, I'm like we all recognize that the weed testing is ridiculous, but come on, man. It's in the rules. Like, it's not like you're surprised they're gonna drug test you. Smoke, like, don't smoke at the fight. You see, uh, Elon uh, must uh, tweet today about weed. It was just, uh, you know, we went from this being a class felony offense to now it is open as an essential business. No, uh, well, I yeah. made that joke when this whole shit started. Like, yeah. Elon's he's three yeah, months Mar- after the fact. <laughs> yeah, Mar- Mar- no, he's cribbing Mark's material is what it is. <laughs> he's one of our two hundred listeners. Um, from the undercard, um, really, the, well, I mean, Neil, Neil, Mag- he, Neil Magny he, got a win. But you got to talk about Sterling. He just ran over Corey. I mean, I, I guess I just, did I, I, I do a good enough job just calling him sandbagging that we don't need to talk about Sterling just demolishing him in one minute and 30. We did talk about being, Sterling. We did. We did. I mean, we didn't talk about his fight at all. We just said like, oh, he's this we, guy. And he's, we talked about what happens next. Okay. Well, I mean, you want to talk about how the, 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 uh, the 88 second destruction yeah, of Corey say, if, you, if, if our listeners did not get to see the fight and they're wondering like well I guess he won but how he ran through Corey Sanhag and this is to I think Stefan's discussion about you know this dude's perception and I was looking through his record I think there's a reason why the hype train isn't as high on him is one a lot of decisions and two a lot of his recent fights I think now in retrospect we know Pedro Munez yeah, right. They're all like, they're all fucking killers. Yeah, all we know. Like, oh, these these because when he fought them, there were no names. It's just Sterling fighting a bunch of guys I'm not familiar with and getting a decision. Not much to write home about. Um, he knew he had pressure on this fight. Like this is basically a tournament to see who's going to get the title shot or who's going to be next in line. And he took that shit seriously and he ran over a a guy that I, I consider to be you know one of the the top guys in the division. So you, you have to give his hat off, and I think he deserves a, a little cred just just to say like yo, he came out, he want to put on a show, and he finished that fight. And I hope that is the new direction he goes in because not only is it going to, I think potentially be a lot more successful. He's going to get fans this way, and I think he is promoting himself 
much better now than he has previously that a new fight style where he's going for the finishes could make him a much bigger star than he has been previously. You can call yourself the human backpack as once you get on his back, you put him away with a choke, man. It worked out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, went to that, he went to his position that he was strongest as immediately and, you know, to, to Corey's credit, he was fighting it as good as he could. He made one mistake. He tried to get on his base. He got on his hands and knees and tried to kind of stand back up. And in that second where he stopped fighting the choke, that's when Sterling got it in. And that's dude's, what a master is going to do. Dude's got some fucking limbs, too. They just got long arms. He's Sterling's a great stand-up awesome. fighter, and Sterling took that away instantly. He got dude, right in his face and was like, no, no, no. He's He's got a six-foot wingspan, and he's five foot seven. Like he's got a long goddamn yeah. reach in his way. I'm very so. interested to see where Corey goes, but this is that's exactly what Sterling needed to do. I think Sterling has to fight the winner of this Jan and Aldo fight, no matter who it is. Yeah, with the, I the, think the, I, I like this moniker that he's the uncrowned champion because I agree. He's like he's ranked higher than everyone. He's well, okay. Technically, Morace is the highest ranked guy because and he did beat Sterling. So all right. I mean, also Morace got a title shot and he's not the champion. And apparently, we're not counting his win over Aldo. Okay. It's, you're telling me the vacant fight should be Aljo versus Maurice. The two guys not involved Probably. out of yeah, the top four guys run back that are the ones that, that should be fighting. They got to run back that fight that took about a minute last time yeah. when, Maurice, when Maurice was just murdering people. Before people realized, let's just wait till the second round and see if Maurice is still throwing heat. That's what people have realized. Uh, from the undercard, nice win by Alex Perez. Leg kicks on Jussier Formiga. Uh, Chase Hooper uh Got blanked by Alex Caceres. He's still really young. I think he's like 20 years old. Yeah. And, and um, good showing by Alex, too. He looked great. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch most of these other ones. Evan Dunham lost in the opening fight of the night, though. That's disheartening, to say the least. Um, I'm going to look up The his... Burns family is on a roll. This is Gilbert's brother. Man, they paid Evan Dunham 60 and 60. They paid him 60 grand to show up. To show, uh, I think guy he you. hadn't fought in like two years too, so yeah. he's probably working off some old contract shit or something. Uh, Devin Clark getting forty eight and forty eight. That's what happens when you're light heavyweight and young and even moderately. There's some hope for you. Uh, Mackie Pitolo ten and ten. Jesus Christ, everybody should be ashamed of themselves. Um, all right, let's get into the money thing because I decided to bring it up here. Um, first shout out to Felicia Spencer getting $125,000 from the UFC. Damn. I hope work. she, I hope she gets half of that next time. Um, so I don't know where we were last week with people retiring for money reasons or not fighting for money reasons. I think we were just at John Jones and Cejudo at the time. I don't think Masvidal had, had thrown Masvidal his hat in threw it his hat in and Masvidal went on sports center and started talking numbers like collective bargaining and revenue share, and the UFC taking uh, 82% of the deal. And I don't think it's lost on any, on, on anybody that Masvidal and John Jones share managers. Um, we also had Conor McGregor retire for the third time, which anytime Conor McGregor's ever retired has been, you need to pay me enough money for me to justify leaving my house. Um, well, I, I thought it was interesting, Bob. I don't... I. I... Would be surprised if you also got to see Ariel and DC talk about this because Ariel brought up some good points as he's one to do is like the best journalism in the game. Uh, all these people, the, the, the complaints all the same, right? It's all about money at the end of the day, but they're all asking for something else. And I guess when he talked to Connor after the pay per view, because like, and it, they weren't too happy about Connor making this announcement right after uh, Amanda Nunes gets her wins, like, dude. <laughs> Do it on Monday. Let her have a weekend where she gets a little bit of the attention instead of you start hogging it. But I guess he talked to Connor after the event, 
And Connor's, it's not so much just the money. He just wants to fight. He just wants to fight, and he's getting upset that he's not getting booked to fight. And obviously, the, a lot of discussion is potentially Zufa not being super interested in having a Conor McGregor fight where they can't charge Buku bucks for a live gate. And that kind of makes sense on their end. Well, yeah, but they don't they don't share that part of the money. Well, exactly. All. And but even but even even if they let's say hypothetically they did share it, they make a lot more when Connor's on the card. They can charge, and it is what DC said. Like, look at when I fought Jones, ringside ringside seats were like eleven hundred dollars. When Connor fights, they're twenty five hundred dollars. Right? They're making double on like the gate than they normally do because they can just. And we know I paid fucking. And you paid fucking big bucks. We can sit in the that last a, row of the arena to watch seven, Conor McGregor. That was a seven million dollar gate. Exactly. That and, was I Conor's mean, ascension too. So, so I think that's then. just that, that's part of the UFC, right? They're like, well, you, we could have Conor in some a card. One, you can't have a Beeb. So who are you going to match him up with? Is one thing. And then two, if it happens right now, we miss out on a big nut. Well, here's the problem: live. the guy they want, the guy they can book him with, is another person who wants to get paid. And there's anyone I'm, I'm talking about Nate. There was a there was a bunch of Nate rumors for a couple of weeks there. Nate's been on the you got to pay to me to get me to show up. You know, fucking it's been Nate's been running this party for fucking six years that you got to pay me to show up thing. Masvidal wants to get paid. Connor, they're not going to book him and Gaethje. Apparently, Gaethje's going to fight Habib. So he wants to get a fight. They got to pay him, and they don't want to pay. They don't want to share as much of the money as they have to on a Connor card. Just all, all I think is interesting is, and at least the conversation with Ariel and Connor, it wasn't about the dollar figure. It wasn't no, no, the Connor... UFC side of it is a dollar figure. Right. But it wasn't like Connor's like, I'm not happy with my contract and I need to get more and I need revenue share. And this is bullshit. Cause I think Connor knows of anybody like he's going to get his pay. Right. And, and at this point he has his hands in other cookie jars. It's like, well, I'm also going to sponsor the event. I'm going to have fucking ads all over it. I'm going to be making my money on the back end one way or the other, whether it's with the organization or not. He seems mostly just be upset. Like, I just want to fight. He had this whole thing set up in the beginning of the year. He wanted three fights this year. And it's like, well, if you're not going to give me a fight during the pandemic, I'm not going to get my three fights a year. So what the fuck are we doing? Um, uh, seems to be his stance. That's what Ariel uh, No, said, no, I, so. I think you're I – I'm not disagreeing with you at all with that. I'm just saying that it's related to money because the UFC would love for Conor McGregor to fight on every fucking card because they make money. But the cost involved in a Conor McGregor fight is higher than the cost in a Amanda Nunes fight. Obviously, there's more of a payoff too, but how much more of a payoff to them, especially when they got like a guaranteed minimum they're getting from ESPN. You know what I mean? So their end of it is probably they want to get the extra $7 million or whatever out of the gate because they got to pay yeah. Connor $10 million and they're going to have to pay Nate Diaz $5 million. They're going to have to pay Jorge Masvidal $5 million or whatever the fuck they got to pay him to make that fight happen. That's 15 out the gate right there, though, you know? I don't think there's a main event with Conor McGregor that they'd be interested in booking that doesn't cost him $15 million in that right there. And if you add up everybody who fought on this card the other night, you know, I don't think they made over $1 million. So, anyway... Um, Steph, the fighters probably a year too late appear to have gotten wise to the money situation. I say a year too late because it would have been nice to get some sort of uh, some sort of guarantee in writing about this ESPN money. Um, Masvidal was talking about not getting any money off of any uh, concessions or ticket sales or anything, and the UFC getting eighteen percent of t- taking all but eighteen percent. John Jones isn't even saying. John Jones literally said today, 
I'm not asking for you to make up for all the money you screwed me out of in my 20s. I'm just asking to be fair going forward. What do you think, man? Is this a real turning point or just a blip in the road for the UFC's continual strategy? Um, it's not a turning point until they unionize. Um, they don't. They don't have any momentum. They don't have any leverage. Uh, yeah, they're the big stars, but the reality is the sport goes on to their detriment or not. Will it? You know what happened when Connor went away? People just forgot about him. The Connor wasn't immune to the passage of time, and that's what the UFC will bank on. Is if these guys walk away, we'll just they, look at them. They have no problem creating a billion interim belts. They will name anybody the champion to have a champion. So um, we'll will you know it's one of those do you cut off your nose to spite your face thing, and that's what the UFC does um, because they have no reason not to. Uh, that's just it's not right. It's not good. It's just the reality of it. Um, and you know if these are the upset guys and they band together, you know what did we always say about the unions? These are the guys who need to matter. These are the guys who need to sign on those dotted lines. They need to lead the charge. Um, if they're willing to do that, that then that's the tide turning. Um, but until that's the difference this time, yeah. man. I've noticed compared to normal, where like we had people like as Leslie Smith and Aljamain Sterling, not out like Al Quinta and other people, or uh, what's the Cajun, Cajun Johnson and stuff. These are people fighting for like a living wage as a fighter, basically. Yeah. These is the guys at the top of the pay scale who've recognized. Oh, we're getting fucked here too. Like that hasn't happened in quite some time. At least this many of them at once. But like Mark said, Connor's not talking about money, which is a very strong sign. He's not going to be talking about unions either. That's fair. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, John Jones. By the way, if you're one of the people tweeting John Jones saying that you signed the contract, honor it. Like, eat a dick, man. Like a whole bag of dicks. Like, what's wrong with you? What, what it's the same thing as the NFL, man. When the contracts aren't guaranteed, no, you when one side can terminate at will, um, no, you don't have to honor it. You have the right to renegotiate unless it's going to actually be even on both sides. Yeah, this is worse than the NFL. The NFL's got a revenue split agreement with the union at least. This has gotten this is nothing. This is whatever the UFC feels like paying you. Like, it's yeah. We're gonna have to see how this goes, man, because this pay-per-view was thin as hell, and there's another one booked for, I think, July, their big July pay-per-view. Um, and I don't know what's going to be on that card unless they can somehow get Alexander Volkanovsky to sneak out of Australia. Oh, wait. Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanna Calderwood is expected to take place at this event. Okay. I love Valentina Shevchenko, but... That is not a main event. This past one wasn't a main event either. We'll see. You're, you're right, Stefan. Let's make up some fake belts, right? It'll be fine. Just fake I mean, belts. I, I think he brings up a good point because that, that's what I think too. I, for a long time, it has been like, well, the unions aren't going to get traction unless you have the big stars that can really you know, have some bargaining power. At this point, though, I think Steph's right. Because even when we were watching this thing, I was starting to think, like, you know, I even talked to you guys a little bit about, like, you know, what if this stuff, I mean, I potentially see how this, like, stuff could go a little bad, right? Like, they they do a fighter's union, and can Zufa really even maintain that? Like, can they maintain their business if they have to share half their revenue with the fighters? I would fucking hope so, because that's how you run a successful business in this market with sports. We've seen all the other major players do it. 
But with how this company is being run, I don't know if they'd be able to sustain themselves. And then I wonder, like, would the UFC just crumble? And if it does, who would they, they'd sell it, right? It's too big of a property just to have it just be gone. So who would who would buy it? And at this point, I think if a fighters union did happen, I don't know if Zufa would be on board or not. And they might just be like what Steph said, just be like, all right, go go see if you if you think you're worth so much money, find the market that's going to pay you for that. Because PFL is not going to pay those numbers because they don't bring in those numbers. One of C is not going to pay those numbers. So I would it'd be interesting to see how that would play out. Um, and I think UFC would just be like, yo, dude, it's called Dana White Contender Series. We got a whole bunch of hungry guys that are killing for five and five right now. We'll build another division off of it. Um, it'd be interesting to see where this. You all don't even leads. need contender series, man. You got people like Donald Cerrone willing to fight for free. Yeah, I mean, there's guys on the card that love the sport enough and are happy enough with what they're getting that twenty and twenty is fine, you know. But you know, l- let's see when those guys. Let's see if the the divisions get so strapped of all their major talent that we have these guys that are getting twenty and twenty, then getting belts and then being UFC title holders and being like, well. Do you I know what I need? Figures, at least. I, I'm, I'm not even talking about a union. I need someone with enough money to challenge the, the UFC's contracts and their status as independent contractors in court. Because anytime that's ever happened, Randy Couture being the best example, eventually you settle because it's expensive. John's got money. I was thinking Connor. Connor. Connor's got money. If anyone, I could see Connor trying to hold his own organization in Ireland, being like, this is going to be a local thing that we're going to expand out. Make, I got the money make for Make them it. sue you. I want to see them try to sue him. I just want to see that too. Connor also like has got a boxing license that allows him to promote a boxing event. And he could go to court anytime he wants without argument. I don't think I don't it's the same thing with the WWE contract. I don't think they hold up to any sort of scrutiny in court. Yeah. I think what's mostly interesting is We've never had these many high-profile champions complain about pay all at the same time. And that's why people are thinking, like, oh, maybe union, maybe union. Who knows what's going to come of it? Uh, I would imagine UFC is going to settle a lot of these behind closed doors, whether it's renegotiations with contracts or what have you. Um, I don't know if we're going to see those big changes that we're all hoping for, but I like the conversations happening. And I think the more... Masvidal and other people get on in, on ESPN and start talking about like, yo, this sport that probably a lot of the fans think is on equal footing, maybe not as popular as MLB and NBA and uh, NFL. You know, they're, they're, everyone knows it's not as big as that. But when they talk about like, oh, this is how this other sports run, and this is why they can have such high contracts, is because how the revenue split because of the union. I think once fans start realizing like, oh, these guys are really getting screwed. This organization is for as much as they want to tout how much they've done for the fighters. And they talk about, oh, here's the, the, the training facility we made. Here's medical insurance for everyone. I mean, I'm not going to be blind and say Zufa hasn't done anything for the fighters. They've obviously done a lot to try to, to stem injuries, to do better drug testing. They've done a lot of stuff to potentially help the fighters, but I think all the fighters would say, you know, what's going to help me the most is having my paycheck be decent so I can live off this shit. You know, health insurance is great. It should be mandatory. Having a facility that I can go to to get, you know, great training and get nutritional stuff on a week of fight. That stuff's awesome, too. But it's like at the end of the day, I want to be making. Well, here's the thing, man. When I say they're like getting screwed on pay, let me be clear. It's not the UFC's responsibility. To just wholeheartedly give you more money. 
It's not. They, they, this is where you get some sort of organized labor involved, where you have to fight for your, they're not going to pay you exactly what you're worth. That's not how it works. Your goal is to get paid as much as, po as close as possible to your worth. If there's many people banding together, collectively, you have a stronger voice to achieve said goal. All right. Conor McGregor's been able to get close to what he is worth because he has a loud voice and a lot of power that way. John Jones has had a certain amount of that too. You know, the UFC doesn't have to run like they're like a fucking co-op here, you know, where they're like owned by the workers or something. The fighters, we remember we like when they, the union stuff kept dying, we said we would stop complaining about the union thing because the fucking fighters didn't do anything about it. Like it, it cannot, like it's not the media's responsibility and we're not, I'm not talking about us here. This is, we're just a podcast, but like the media's responsibility was not to get the fighters paid more or to get them a, you know, get them a fucking union, you know, just anyway. I mean, they need a writer's union, so I mean, they, they got their own. There is one. I mean, are those guys on it? There's a mem the mixed martial arts journalist association. Oh, good for them. I yeah. mean, th this is this is the honest truth, though. As much as we've talked about unions forever, um, and I've also talked about this, it's not as easy as we'd all like it to be. It's not as no, easy. No, someone's got to sacrifice. It, 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 it's not just like there's more than just the sacrifice. It's like organization. It takes. It's an undertaking, and that's why you needed like when they had the whole the first time they did it. They're like, "Yo, Leslie Smith's gonna run this shit," because you need people running this shit. You know, a union is not something that. We can just have the fighters be like, okay, let's let's just all get together and sign some contracts. Like, no, you need legalese people. It needs to be a whole organization. It needs to be a, basically a company that needs to be built on a bunch of independent contractors working together. And it's tough to do. Yep. Um, all right, let's move on. Next week, UFC Fight Night this Saturday at Jessica Iver, Cynthia Calvillo. It's the only fight of any consequence on this card at all. We're not going to pick it. But uh, Steph... I'm just going to ask you this. Cynthia Calvillo missed weight a bunch of times at 125, at 115. Moving up to 125. Just a guy's, you know, no slouch. Technically number one contender. You think this is the right weight class for Cynthia or this, you know, this is going to be a fruitful endeavor, I guess, moving up to this weight class in your opinion. If you're missing weight, then you are in the wrong weight class. Um, yeah. You know, if, it, if it's just a professionalism thing and, yeah. and she makes weight, then yeah, it's the right weight class for her. Um, it's a harsh take. The records aren't atrocious. I don't think either one of them is very good. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I think I this is Jessica. This is Jessica's more natural weight class. I expect her to be bigger. She'd be who I picked to win, but I wouldn't make any pick with any conviction. Yeah, this is this card is trash. Is this on actual ESPN? Jesus. I think they it's on need... ESPN Plus. I think it's on both. I think all these cards have been on both. You can watch them on either because ESPN is bereft of all content. Yeah, like whatever. Everybody, everybody's watching Bundesliga and MMA. That's what's going on. Um, yeah, that's what's going on. Um, by the way, Bellator's been shut down this whole time. Nothing's happening. That's not surprising. <laughs> Nothing at all. Pandemic or uh, not, we wouldn't have known. There was a while. weird rumor at one point they were going to get kicked off of DAZN, but then there was a rumor like, no, they're not. Also, DAZN's not doing well anyway. Well, what are and they I, airing right now? I don't know. Showtime is airing a lot of uh, Old Strike Force, though. Let me tell you that. Hmm, That's, they they showed the whole Melendez and uh, Thompson trilogy one night. Or four fights or three fights. I don't remember. I watched this and I don't remember. I think there's only three, if even yeah. that. Um, yeah, I'm just saying if they want to strike force ends up back on showtime, it wouldn't be the worst thing that happened. Um, all right, let's do stuff. We like, um, 
I'll uh, I'll knock this out first. Um, did any? I, I know you didn't watch it, Mark. Stefan, did you watch any of Takeover? Steph, you're muted. Steph. <laughs> oh, sorry. That question totally cut out for me. I got none of it. Oh. oh um, did you watch any of Takeover? I did not watch Takeover. Okay, Marcus. Just so for our technical issues, you heard me ask the question first or not? I did. Okay, good. Um, all right. So NXT Takeover in your house. Um, is it really called in your house? They took in that. They called moniker? it. They called it in your house, yeah. and that was fun because they had the old guy from like the nineties, Todd Bettingale. Okay. Todd Bettingale show right, up. So they leaned into it. That's good. Adam Cole shot a fake Ico Pro commercial, which was that weird supplement Vince was hawking. I saw they did the while. living room entrance stage that in your yeah. house used to have. They had the they whole aesthetic. That. that was real fun. That was a really good time. Um, overall, it's an NXT Takeover show. They're always good on some level. Um. The parking lot match of all these, uh, are they calling it cinematic wrestling? I think Steph. Of all the ones so far, I'm not. I didn't dig this one much. I it was around where like the Money in the Bank match was for me. Um, I did like uh, Dream showing up dressed like Negan from Walking Dead because showing up with a reference about two years old, three years old is real. That's real WWE right there. I mean, boss, they're referencing like a. What twenty-year-old pay-per-view they used to do? So, oh yeah, yeah exactly. That's fair. Shit's like, cutting yeah. edge for them. Um, Adam Cole showed up in a monster truck for some reason. They had a big like ring of cars with headlights, but then there was a ring in the middle of that ring of car. The ring of cars. Um, it was it was a good match. It was just it just didn't look like it added a lot being where it was. Um, Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano was great. Keith Lee came out, Black Lives Matter trunks, Black Lives Matter's uh, vest on. Hell of a performance. Johnny Gargano's not really capable of bad matches. Um, they had Karrion Cross beat uh, Champa in six minutes, really pushing him big time. And uh, the best match of the night was the women's three-way. Io Shirai, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley. They... Uh, Wanted to get that belt off Charlotte, and but they didn't want her to get pinned. So they had Rhea in the match too. And Io Shirai became the new women's champion. Um, Really good match. All these three women are really talented. Io landed a moonsault where I'm pretty confident her knee landed on Rhea Ripley's face, though, to end the match. So that was real rough. Um, But, Steph, if you were going to go back and try to watch any of this, this would be the one to watch. And I know you like Io anyway. Io's uh, excellent, quite frankly. All around, um, but it was a good show. Yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, Mike was laughing because I was. T- we were watching it, and I said, "Mike, I, I know Vince just someone on someone told Vince AEW's got a Japanese champion, and Vince was just like, ah, we can cater to them better. We can exploit this more than they can.' Um. Anyway, um, yeah, that was it. Uh, the revival are on AEW now. That was cool. And I watched John Wick 1 and 2. We've all talked about John Wick on this podcast before, so I don't need to add anything more to it. I'll probably watch John Wick 3 later tonight or tomorrow after I'm done watching Space Force, which I will say, Space Force, thumbs up. I think John Malkovich kills it overall. That's, you know, my opinion of it. But yeah, I'm all over. I got a lot of, I had a lot of stuff this week, but Steph, what do you got? Um, yeah, I think I'm the uh, proponent of you watching John Wick, uh, just because a couple days ago I decided I was going to watch the trilogy again. Um, really fun action movies, really great world building. Said to Mark, I'm shocked that they never made like a, a 
a real video game out of it. I saw that there's like a mobile game. Um, there's like a port from a PC one, but it's kind of like Telltale ish. It's not, you know, a real like dedicated. It's it's yeah. got a whole world building about but it. Real quick, Kevin Nash is literally in this movie for ten seconds. Yeah. Right? Like so when I it. watched it two days before, I actually said that to Mark as I was watching it. I was like, I forgot Kevin Nash is in this movie. And he does nothing at all. He's the doorman. He has a slush, quick conversation, he leaves. Like It was really it. Kevin it was really Kevin Nash, like, Hey man, you don't have to do anything. You're already getting paid. And that's been the Kevin Nash pro wrestling career for twenty five years, so no problem. Hey, he he gave his best Russian accent. Let's give him he he attempted some real acting. Uh, he wasn't just there. Um, but yeah, I love those movies. Um, my my stuff I like this week. Um, it's not like it's not my hard seal of approval. It's not like my strongest recommendation. Um, ultimately, I will say it was good, not great. Um, I caught the uh, ESPN B Water Bruce Lee documentary that they've been hyping up. Uh, we all have access to ESPN Plus. Uh, that's how I watched it. Mark, it's there for you if you want to check it out. Um, so. It's really well made. It's well put together. A lot of the footage is really interesting. It's really good. Um, but as a fan of Bruce Lee, and this is where my critique comes in, I've consumed a lot of Bruce Lee content. I've seen a lot of Bruce Lee documentaries. Um, and frankly, I was a little disappointed this one didn't it didn't cover new ground, nor did it take a different angle. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, and it's a propos for the time that we're currently in. This documentary was more about Bruce Lee the symbol than Bruce Lee the man. Um, it was the infallible version of Bruce Lee, and I've seen these oh. documentaries. Um, and I knew right away, because one of the first voices you hear was his wife. Um, and she signs off on a lot of these things. And she's been accused for decades of painting a shiny light over events and stories. Um, the biopic Dragon, uh, the Bruce Lee story, which came out in the 90s, she was highly accused of reinventing events to make herself seem like a more influential figure or more prominent figure than she actually was. Um, there were a lot of people who disputed the telling of that version. Um, and, you know, it, t it talks about him, but, you know, a couple months ago, I was listening to a podcast with the author, author Matthew Polly, and he had just written, he had not just written, but he had a book called uh, Bruce Lee, A Life. And that gives more true tellings of the events. A lot of the tall tale events, um, like, you know, the whole meeting where they were battling for who got to teach martial arts in the Bay Area, because there was that whole conflict and how it actually played out. Um, you know, it talks about his mistress, Betty Pay. Uh, in this documentary, I'm going to spoil this. They referred to her as a co-actress who gave him a medication that he never woke up from, and she checked on him sleeping. Like, we're not going to mention that this was his mistress. He had an affair. This actress just happened to give him a medication that killed him. She just happened to check on him while sleeping. And it's it's not to tarnish him, because I'm such a fan of Bruce Lee. I don't think knowing the person behind the legend tarnishes him. It doesn't discredit anything he did. It makes him more relatable because it makes him a person. Um, and so, well, yeah, man, we were talking about the what was it? We were talking about the Ali movie the other day, which they had the backing of Muhammad Ali, yeah. and then Muhammad Ali cheats on every wife he has in that movie because that's just what happened. Yeah, yeah, you know that's who he was. It's he just so I love Bruce Lee. I love everything he's meant. I want the full history. Um, again, it's well made. 
from a documentary perspective. And if you haven't seen a lot of Bruce Lee documentaries, if you're not totally that familiar, it's a great entry point. Um, but just as a fan of Bruce Lee, this is familiar ground. Um, and yeah, I just wish it was more than it was. That's all. Did they shove in about the, about the MMA angle like that other documentary did? No. Um, see, this one I appreciate. Everyone they talked to were the pe- all the voices and the voiceovers were people who really knew him, actually knew him. That MMA one was people who were fans of him. And there were some people who knew him. You always get Dan Inosanto. Um, again, his wife is prone to show up. His daughter will speak in a lot of these things. And they're here too. But, you know, you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was one of his early students who filmed Game of Death for free because they were friends. He had, he had a few days to go fly out there and shoot it. So there's definitely a personal touch. Like I said, if, if you're new, it's a great entry point. Um, but if, if you're very familiar, maybe you'll be like me and wish it was a little bit more. Right on. Um, I thought they would shove in MMA just because it's on ESPN and they just want to get their shit hyped. Mark, what do you got this week? Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff I'll run through pretty quickly. Uh, first, uh, I didn't know it when we talked last week, but a new season of uh, Queer Eye came out on Netflix. Um, you know, it's been kind of depressing times, I guess you could say, with what's going on in the country. Um, that one just restores your faith in humanity a little bit. Um, I also started watching. I also started watching Watchmen with Christine. I think we're on episode seven. Do you guys remember how? Was it a ten? episode season or is it eight i think it's i think it's nine. nine that's weird um yeah we've been loving it um like you guys know it's just a really fun interesting show um and they have oh, a let me lot ask of you th- let me ask you yeah. this man did christine read the book uh she only saw the movie she, i don't think she read the comic i don't know if anybody can watch this thing uh, i was talking to our friend oj who started watching it too actually this week and he's flying through it but he said yeah, I, he doesn't understand how anybody would watch this thing if they haven't seen the movie or read the book. I don't know how possible I, it is. Well, I don't. Fi- I mean, look at they. They already kind of deal with historical things that aren't didn't really happen, right? So, mm. it's not like it. Okay, look, I read. I read Watchmen. The first couple episodes don't really help you much, and I, I, I think you can enjoy this show without having read the comic because the Fair show enough. does not. It does not hold your hand in being like, oh, remember this? Remember that? It's like, no, this is. Shit, that doesn't make any fucking sense on the comic. We're gonna, and that's that's kind of like HBO's narrative style is like they're gonna like, hey, I'm gonna throw you in the deep end. Five episodes in, this will this will start making sense, right? Um, and I think that's what they do with Watchmen, and they done it with Westworld. And I think Game of Thrones is to that to some degree. It's like it's hard to understand what's going on, but they'll explain the the holes that they're not telling you. Um, but mostly, it's just a really fantastic show. I, I think it definitely helps if you read the comic or are a fan of the comic. Um, you'll get more out of it. I think you. I, I, it'd be interesting. I, I'd love to hear people's um, you know, reviews or thoughts of having not done yeah, I was any reading, watching uh, the film. Uh, ben, Fol- ben Folks was talking about it um, on Twitter, and he said he went, he says he was watching it, but then he stopped and went and read the book. And then went back and started watching it again. Then everything made more sense to him. That was it, too. So I don't know. Look, I loved it. Steph and I both loved it. I think, Steph, did we call it the best one-season show ever, probably? Yeah, when we talked about it, we we, we put it on the uh, TV show uh, March Madness bracket we did. Um, But yeah, I I put that single season up there with any single season of any TV show ever made. Yeah, and some of that, of course, is it's based on a book, which is one of my favorite books ever. And I know you like it, but you're you're a big fan as well. But yeah, I, I'm honestly like between Mark saying he's watching it, my friend OJ watching it. Part of me wants to do a rewatch, Steph. 
I might need to go back and watch Watchmen again. <laughs> oh, I, I would, I would definitely love to. You know, um, you know, like I, I heard there's a couple in production like documentaries that are going to cover Black Wall Street now, and uh, God bless the show for putting it into the zeitgeist for people. Like that was such a constant com- part of the conversation. Is did you know this was a real event? Because oh yeah, almost no one a- did. You know? Yeah, I had no idea. Did you have any idea at all? No, like, I had no idea. One hundred percent, just like okay, this is an event they're doing for the show. You think it's all for the show, but then you remember a lot of the Watchmen. It's seeped in real American history. It's an alternate version of things. So you thought, but like, yeah, it's it's just that, right? Well, well, let me tell you, man. This is the Black history they teach you when you're in school. They teach you there was slavery, and then we had the Civil War and the Thirteenth Amendment. There's Reconstruction. There was, bunch, and there was Reconstruction. We had a bunch of Jim Crow laws. And then we there's had a Civil Rights civil, Movement. We had Civil Rights Acts. We had a, they, they tell you a lot about MLK. They tell you about Rosa Parks. One day they'll mention Malcolm X as a guy who was there. They never bring up the fucking Black Panthers. You got to learn that shit yourself. You know? <laughs> like, and yeah, this stuff doesn't come up. Like some, like it really doesn't. You know? They don't teach you this stuff in school. Uh, lastly, I would say... Given the current events going on, it, it seems more striking probably than it, it, it did when it originally aired. I mean, the show has, has to do with a lot of, you know, racism and injustice in the you know police force. And that's kind of like the headlines right now. So it is it is interesting watching that show right now with what's going on in the political landscape and what have you. Um, a couple other things I did want to touch on real quick. Um, like you mentioned, Bob, I also we also watch Space Force. It is really fun. I know a lot of the headlines I read before was a lot of like, oh, Steve Carell's back, but it's not as good as The Office. Um, and that can, and I felt like that was deterring me from watching it a little bit. And I was like, you know, I just want to let me watch an episode and I'll judge for myself. Um, and you end up watching it. And it's like, hey, this is really good. You know, maybe it's not The Office, which is like one of the best sitcoms of all time. That's a high marker to try to, you know, surpass. But it's a really fun uh, sitcom. Um, did Does you watch it all? You, I, didn't, I have to watch the last episode. Okay. Do you think it reminds you of Veep? Not just because of the setting, but like the whole like the tone of the comedy and the vulgarity and I don't know. There's times, especially when he's like hanging out with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I always think like this is a real Veep vibe. Well, to I, the whole thing. I, I, I get a little bit of that, but it's because of the things you mentioned before. I think it is the yeah. setting. I think it's it's really it, it's kind of weird to have because the show is obviously dealing in like current times under the current political regime but they won't say trump at all and they'll have other congress people that are based off of real people but they're oh, not you the mean real... a- a- angry young congresswoman yeah angry, ayc yeah ayc yeah <laughs> and like the other people. And so like they skirt this line which i don't think they really nail a lot like it just it, it, it for me it's, i find it just off-putting and i don't know if having the real politicians be on the show would have helped i don't think it would or having say like oh trump wants this and melania wants that would have help the show but it's just weird it, it's a kind of a cloud hanging over it's just like okay i know what like the people you're kind of referring to but you're not really saying it dude i don't i don't like being reminded that president trump is the president of the united states maybe that's real yeah, maybe talk they don't it really it. it really don't need that it doesn't help um me. i would be interested to get your thoughts on the um finale because i thought what they did there was interesting um but i, I enjoyed the show and i definitely recommend well, people check it out you know even if you if you're like me and you saw some of the headlines that weren't raving and you're like oh maybe i'll skip it watch the first episode and, and you'll know pretty quickly if this is going to jive with you or not i think it's a pretty good sitcom um, i like they gave they gave what's his name uh from silicon valley i like him getting more roles though uh uh, Jin yang from Silicon valley i was gonna say he, that, was, he was one of he my so characters good. i like the most and they 
his kind of love interest, the African American soldier. I thought she was really. I, 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 this show definitely has those characters that like, oh, I like these people. These are likable characters that I want to see them succeed, and I'm rooting for them and stuff. And and I know me and stuff. I talked about other sitcoms, like I was gonna say Girls, which wasn't a sitcom, it was a drama. But I have a hard time connecting to shows if I don't have someone that I'm somewhat emotionally invested in. Um, and the show has that. They have they have fun characters. It's a really fun show. Another show in the same vein, which I think is kind of falling in the shadow of its precursors. Um, and I mentioned that before, uh, Solar Opposites are actually really dug in and continued. And that's a really fun show. Um, and I think if you're looking for Rick and Morty, you're not necessarily going to find it here. It doesn't really have that. I think what it, you can obviously tell Dan Harmon's missing and it's missing that high concept stuff. But on kind of a more surface level, it is a really fun, silly, stupid show. And if you like Justin Rowland and the kind of voices he does, he's just he's doing the Rick and Morty shtick and it works. It, it does work. You know, I think Rick and Morty is an especially special show that also just ended its fourth season last week um, because it does kind of have like a more nuance to its storytelling. It's telling more narratives that aren't really slapping you on the face, you know, with rick's alcoholism how he treats his family you know it has some of that kind of and then even narratively on the surface storytelling stuff about bringing in multi i mean there's a lot going on there and i don't think solar opposites really hits that benchmark but it is a really fun comedy i laughed out loud multiple times um and it and a lot of it does lay on justin Rowland, just his ability to improv and riff off of himself um and the show does have a lot of product placement that doesn't really aggravate me that much it's it's very you know, they'll do a lot of references to products and movies and shows um, as jokes. And I think I think they, they work more often than they don't. So I really enjoyed that. Um, lastly, I do want to mention last week they were going to have a PlayStation 5 event, which got postponed because of the civil unrest that's going on in the states here. Um, that is actually going to be happening this Thursday at one o'clock. So they're going to show an hour of, you know, unannounced PlayStation 5 software. Um, that's really intriguing to me. So it'll be interesting to see what they bring out first party. And we're also just in the cusp of, um, you know, later this week on Friday, the reviews for The Last of Us 2 will come out. Next Friday, it'll actually come out. So gaming-wise, it's been a little slow. Personally, I've been playing a lot of Street Fighter V in the interim, but really just waiting for Last of Us 2. So that's kind of it. All right, folks. We're going to be back next week. Um, there's a card. I don't remember what it is. We'll talk about that. I and we'll see. In Cynthia. No, the one after that. There's oh yeah, that. Blades and Alexander Volkanov. That's not the I worst. like that fight. I like that fight. That's not bad. I, I like Razor Blades' fights, man. He gets in there, man. He he scraps. Um. All right, we'll be back next week. Um, the kid, kid presentable, DJ Mark, myself, and Lavender Gooms will be back. We thank you all for uh, watching. Um, I know we spent a lot of the podcast. This week, last week, talking about the fighters not getting paid. That's what's going on, guys. And if there was more fights of consequence, we'd talk about those. Let me tell you, if this card was loaded this weekend, we would have spent 20, 30 minutes talking about that. But the direct consequence of them not paying their fighters, plus the coronavirus situation where half their fighters are overseas anyway, has led to this crap. Um, but thank you all for listening. We really do appreciate it. I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. Lavender Goom says hi from uh, his house. See y'all next week. Peace out. See ya. Cheers.